Hey, thanks for subscribing to the Cross Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and each week you know we take up curious theological topics to fight against theological boredom. On the show this week, we talk about the distinction between law and gospel, and we also have Pastor Warren Graff on the show to talk about the social credit score that you get if you're living in Shanghai and the problems with that. This is also our first show to go live in the Denver market, so if you're tuning in from Denver, we're so happy to have you as part of the family. Please make sure to visit wolfmuller.co, that's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R.co for more information about me, the Church Hope Lutheran, and all the other theological things. Thanks again. Here's the show. Well, hey, hey, welcome to Cross Defense. You're listening in St. Louis, or you're listening in Denver for the first time. Welcome to the Denver audience this week, or you're listening somewhere in the world on the podcast. You can find it at kfuo.org. Uh, thanks for listening, and, and to listen to all the past episodes, you can go there as well. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, glad, glad, glad to be with you today. Uh, talking about talking about theology, trying to overcome the devil's temptation to make us bored with theology. We want to equip the mind. We want to comfort the conscience. We want to... We want to let the Word of God set our imaginations on fire with the wisdom of God's law and the comfort of the gospel. That's what we're going to do for the next hour. Uh, To do that, we're going to talk first about how most people read the Bible wrong. We're going to talk about that for the first uh, segment. And then for the last couple segments, we're going to have Pastor Warren Graff, pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, come on and bring something curious, whatever he's interested in. Uh, He can come and, and bring that along. He's always got the... Of all the guests on the show, Pastor Graff always has the wildest stuff. I mean, I never know. I never have any idea what he's going to be, be talking about. So, uh, so we'll look forward to that in the um, in the second and the third segments. But first, we want to start, talk about how most people read the Bible wrong. Now, I I want to come right out of the box and admit that I myself was guilty of this for years and years and years, and that is reading the Bible like an instruction book most people open up their bible and and they're asking you you know all of us are bringing a question to the text whenever we open up um whenever we open up the scriptures we're we we are we're inviting we're inviting the bible to answer fundamental uh to answer fundamental questions for us and most people at least uh, this is my own experience most people will open up their bible and they'll ask the question, what is this book telling me what I should do today? That's, that's the basic premise. That's the way that they approach the text. In fact, I've heard it taught before, and I, I, um, I've, I've heard people say that the Bible is the basic instructions before leaving earth. B-I-B-L-E, that's what it stands for. And they, they, they will treat the Bible like an instruction book. Now I, uh, I I sort of cringe at that because because there's nothing there's no worse book that, well okay maybe there could be but instruction books are, are are it's just you you just when you think of joy and confidence and peace and and all the good things in life you do not think instruction book but that's how a lot of people approach the Bible I in fact I've got I've got a copy I've got an old Bible that I used to have and I I traveled with it um, back. 
uh, in high school and college. And I, I look back in that Bible now, and I look at the passages that I had marked in there, and the passages that I would, the passages that I would circle, and the passages that I would underline, are all of the passages that had instruction. All the passages that had commands about about what we're supposed to do. All the all the passages that answered the question, uh, "What should I do today?" But if we ju- if we go to the Bible, just asking that question, asking the question of of what instructions are there for me, asking the question of 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 what commands are there, then we're going to be missing the big part, the important part, the main part of the scripture. Because while the Bible does tell us what we are supposed to do, while the Bible does has, have commands for us, that's, that's only part of it. The, the main part of the Bible is not the, is not the commands and instructions, but in fact the promises. The, the, the texts that tell us what God will do for us. So, so here's the key. Here's the single key to helping us understand the Bible, to helping the Bible open up for us. It's to know that the Bible has two main doctrines. The Bible has on the one hand the commands, but on the other hand it has the promises. It has on the one hand the commands, the commandments, God's instructions, but it has on the other hand God's gifts to us. It has threats and it has and it has comfort. The, the old Lutherans had names for this. This is really quite wonderful. The, uh, they called this the law and the gospel. The, the, what God says that we're uh, supposed to do and what God says he has done for us. And look, if we are just asking the question, what is this telling me to do? We're tuning in to the law parts, but we're not able to tune into the promises. And we want to be able to tune in clearly to both of them. There's this great old, oh, this is from from 1877, this old writing called the Formula of Concord, and it says this, the distinction between the law and the gospel is an especially brilliant light that illuminates the scriptures. Here's the picture. Have you done this? You've woken up in the middle of the night and you're trying to get, you know, to the bathroom or trying to get to the kids to check on the kids or trying to get to the to the kitchen to get a cookie or something like that. So so you're you're stumbling around. You get up in the middle and it's dark and you can't see anything and you stub your toe on the laundry basket that's there or you trip over the uh the box that wasn't put away or, or you stumble around in the dark. This is the, the the those old Lutheran guys said that this is how we tr- this is how we are in the Bible if we don't know the difference between law and gospel it's like walking around in the dark and we're stubbing our toe and we're bumping our head and we're mixing things up and we're getting things wrong in fact uh, the old Lutheran theologian C F W Walter says that when we just simply open the Bible we see that there's no other book that is so full of contradictions than the Bible if we don't understand the law and the gospel. Because on the one page, it looks like God's saying, if you want to be saved, you've got to do this. And on the other hand, it says, if you want to be saved, you can't do anything. Well, how do we settle it? This, this is settled with this distinction. So whenever we open the Bible, we want to know that God is speaking two major doctrines, two major words. He's, on the one hand, giving us his commands. Here's how you're supposed to live. And on the other hand, he's giving us his promises. And he gives us those two words. They have different content, and they have different purposes. The law tells us what we're supposed to do. And probably the law is most, is most conveniently summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. Remember God called Moses up 
to the top of Mount Sinai, and the, the people, the, the Lord was covering, <laughs> the Lord was covering the mountain with this great cloud, and He was thundering and blasting away. He says, "Nobody better touch the mountain, or they're going to be destroyed." And so Moses goes up into the cloud, and he comes back down with these two tablets of the law, and it's got the Ten Commandments: "You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's." house don't covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant maidservant ox donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor the people heard the lord speaking these things and they were absolutely terrified and rightly so because this standard that god gives is so high that we can't keep it so not only does the law tell us what we ought to do how we ought to live to please god but the law and this is the chief reason that god has given the law it shows us how we fail it's like a mirror. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we see all the things that are wrong with us. So, so God's law shows us his own holiness, which shows us how we fail. The law reveals the, or the, the wrath of God then. It, it shows us his perfection and it puts it in contrast with our failures. And so the law shows us that we need a Savior. The gospel, on the other hand, is the good news that we have a Savior. The gospel, oh, praise God, that's what gospel means. Gospel means good news, oiangelion in the Greek. Oi, which means good, and angelion, which means angel or messenger or message or news. The oiangelion is the good news. It comes from the ancient world when there would be a, there would be a war over the hill, and you, don't, you can't tell who's winning, if, you're, if your husband and your sons are winning the war or if the other nation that wants to destroy you is winning the war, you're back home waiting for news from the battlefield. And, and someone has to run back and tell you how it's going because back in the ancient world, the cell connection was just horrible. You could hardly, you, just undependable service. So, so you had to wait for the person to run over and they would run over the hill and they would announce the good news or the bad news, the oyangelion or the katangelion. This, uh, the, the news that we've won or the news that we're, we've lost, run for the hills. That's the good news. And, and the Bible says that the gospel is the good news. It's the message that comes all the way from, from Good Friday and Easter Sunday. It's the message that comes from Jerusalem almost 2,000 years ago. It's the message that God has won the victory over sin, death, and the devil. And that message comes to us today, and it's absolutely glorious. We're sinners that deserve, God, that deserve God's wrath. But the good news comes that says that Jesus has overcome your sin, that he is He's carried your sins, that he has suffered for the sins of the whole world, that that's what he was doing on the cross, that all the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, that Jesus was suffering that punishment in our place as our substitute, atoning for us <laughs> under, under the wrath of God. I mean, we think of all the things that put Jesus on the cross, the, the betrayal of Judas and the, 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 the timidity of the crowds and the, and the envy of the Pharisees and the fear of Pilate and the, and the kind of licentiousness of Herod and all of these things. Even we think of our sins that put Jesus on the cross. This is it. But, what, but really Jesus was suffering on, on the cross was the wrath of God. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me, said Jesus? Or from Isaiah 53, remember this? He, we considered him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So that it's God's anger that Jesus is suffering for our sins on the cross. That's what's really happening on the cross. That's the payment that our Redeemer is making for us. And that good news comes to us, comes to sinners. It comes to us as we, as we fight against our own dying, our own failures, our own uh, 
our own sinfulness, our own shortcomings, our own everything, that good news comes to us as the most glorious, the most wonderful, the most profoundly comforting news, and there's nothing that needs to be done. There's, there's no work that we need to do. There's no, there's no act that we need to, uh, there's no box that we need to check. The gospel comes to us completely freely as a promise of God's grace. Do you see, this is the essential difference between a command and a promise. A command is kept by doing it. If, if I give you a command, like jump up and down, you don't say, Pastor Wolfmuller, I believe you. Well, you don't say that because I didn't give you anything to believe. I gave you something to do. You, you keep a command by, by doing it. If I give you a promise, if I, if I say, next year the Rockies are going to win the Super Bowl. Wait. What do they win? The World Series. Next year, the Rockies are going to win the World Series. You, you don't jump up and down. You, you believe. That's, that's a promise that you have to believe it. Well, the same thing is true when the Lord gives commands and when the Lord gives promises. When the Lord says, honor your father and mother, we don't say, I believe you. He didn't give us something to believe. He gave us something to do. But when the Lord says, your sins are forgiven, there, there's absolutely nothing that we can do. It's, uh, it's, it is for us only to believe, to trust the promise of God, to believe that what he says is true. Oh, how fantastic. So, so that that is this distinction between law and gospel. Now, I think, by the way, dear friends, that whenever we're talking to people who have different faiths or beliefs or confessions or belong to different churches or whatever, and we want to start the conversation, that this is the place to start it. To say, hey, have you heard of the distinction between law and gospel? Because that is the thing that simply opens up the scriptures. I can look at this passage and say, oh, look, that's a passage of law. It's Jesus telling me what I ought to do. And then I could look at the next passage and say, oh, look, here's a passage of comfort. This is a promise. This is, this is forgiving me all my sins. It's delivering Christ to me. And I can start to see the continuity of the Bible, how the Lord is always teaching teaching the law and teaching the gospel. Now, the confusion of law and gospel is what sits behind just about every error in the church. And, and the way it works is this. Mostly, the way that we confuse law and gospel in the church is we mix the law with the gospel. You, you know, you say, uh, the God will get you started in being saved, but you've got to finish it. Or you've got to start it, and then God will bring it to completion. Or God has done all of this for you, but all you have to do is this. You, ju you just have to accept it, or you just have to believe it, or you just have to whatever it is. That, uh, everything's been done except. You, that's like 99% gospel and then like 1% law. But if you add 1% law to the gospel, it, it muddies the whole thing. No. It's pure grace. It's pure mercy. It's pure kindness. It's pure promise. The gospel has no command. It has no demands of us. It has, it's, it's simply the Lord's kindness brought to us in a promise. There's nothing that we can do to, to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. There's nothing we can do to pay God back for it. There's nothing. It comes to us completely as a gift. And so we want to, the reason why we want to know the distinction between law and gospel is so we can, we can let the law do what it's supposed to do, tell us how to love God and our neighbor and show us our sins, but we want the gospel to do what it does.
to bring the forgiveness of sins, to tell us how it will be for us on the last day, to, to determine where we will spend eternity. That is the job, God be praised, of the gospel. And this is the key to reading the Bible. And this distinction between law and gospel, it turns the light on on every page of the Scripture and lets us see what God's getting at. I hope it helps. I hope it's helpful for you. I hope it's helpful for, for your family. I hope it's helpful in your next conversation with your Christian friend. Hey, you're listening to Cross Defense. It's Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Glad to have you with us. If you missed any part of the show, make sure to log in and get the podcast. You can subscribe to that and get old episodes. We've been doing this for a while now. You can go back and listen to what we've been up to for a number of months. And uh, stay tuned. Uh, we're going to go to the break. And when we come back from that, Pastor Warren Graff is going to join us to talk about, I don't know what he's got today. We're going to see uh, what he has. We'll enjoy it. I'm sure it'll be great. So stay tuned. Be right back. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Hi, this is Bart Day, President and CEO of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Every day, our Lutheran schools reach out to children and families with the love of Jesus. Our schools are a rich and vital component of the church, and in fact, they are the single greatest ministry we share that can shape the future growth and expansion of the Synod. And so whether it's a customized loan to fit your school's particular needs or help living out your ministry's God-given purpose, we want to help your ministry flourish and grow. So visit us at lcef.org to learn more. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM 850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. This is Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. First Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Today I give thanks for you, for your joy-filled service to the Lord and to the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You know, daily I am humbled by the many visible examples of people demonstrating Christ's love for their neighbor. Our witness and service reflect the love of God for this world. Because we have been loved, we love. God calls each of us to serve him in different places and ways. Through your commitment to sharing the gospel, you make known the love of Christ in your churches, communities, and the world. 
You are the body of Christ, Christ's presence in this world. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, all in Christ Jesus. In this season of gratitude, may you be abundantly blessed. Hey, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You're listening in St. Louis or in Denver. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. We're on in Denver nowadays and also anywhere in the world on the Internet, I suppose as far as the Internet goes into space as well, on podcast. If you've missed any part of the show, make sure to go and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen there. Give us your feedback. It's fantastic. Uh, pastor Warren Graff is pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Pastor Graff, how are you? Good afternoon. Hi, Brian. How, are, how do you describe, if someone asks you, hey, what's the distinction between law and gospel? What's your quickest way of getting at that? Hmm. Well, I guess, just for the quick distinction, the law always accuses, and the gospel justifies the sinner at there the face go. of God. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Hey, what do you got for us today? I always am excited for for whatever well, you curiosity not, you is. You may not be excited this time, because <laughs> I, I can ask you... What, and, and you can reveal this to your to your radio listeners. What is Brian Wolfmuller's social credit score? Oh, social credit score. Your social credit score. Well, what's the range? Um, <laughs> Four stars. If, if yeah, I mean, you know, if you're down in the say seven percentile at the bottom, I don't know if the range really matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know I've never heard of the social credit score. Well, you will. <laughs> All right, tell us about it. <laughs> so, so if you just think of the the uh, the credit score that you and I have, everyone, anyone who has a what a, a, a credit card, a, a, a house loan, a car loan, we all have a credit score. You can look it up online, I guess. And if you go and you if you are applying for a loan um, because you're going to move and you just bought a new house then obviously your credit score comes up and you hope you have a good credit score. You do if you've made all your payments on time and you haven't taken out any, what, any uh, obviously unwise loans. But on the other hand, if you bought that 64 Pontiac GTO for 50000 when you couldn't make the payments, then your credit score may not allow you to buy the house. I, by the way, I'm looking so we, for people with good credit yeah. scores to go with us to Spain next summer. <laughs> well, I don't know that that would be credit. That's 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 called an investment. Yeah, so that's right. Oh, there you go. That, thank yes. you. Thank you. Okay, gotcha. So and, credit and score makes way, sense because the bank needs to know if you're dependable, if you're going to be able to pay back debt and so forth. Right. And, and also it may be important for us um, as we think about, you know, living – uh, li- living in our our country under the under the Constitution and all of that, it may be important to also note that a credit a credit report is run privately, uh, so it's not the government using coercive data that they've gotten through my tax return, let's say, to try to score me, but it's rather uh, private parties giving me a score according to the way I've treated other private properties. Um, in the marketplace, you know, so a credit score makes sense. And if, if you're going to give me a loan, it's reasonable for you to know wh- whether or not I have a good reputation for for making on-time payments. 
But now it's social credit score. Let me read to you. Well, Wall Street Journal has treated it recently. This is, I'll read to you a little bit from an article in Real Clear Science, um, which, is, which is an online journal that, that has composite stories and all that. But it, it speaks of, there's a British journalist, James O'Malley. He's in the Beijing-Shanghai bullet train last month, and he heard this announcement. Dear passengers, people who travel without a ticket or behave disorderly or smoke in public places will be punished according to regulations, and the behavior will be recorded in an individual credit information system. To avoid a negative record of personal credit, please follow the relevant regulations and help with the orders on the train and at the station. And so this is what... Where, wait, now, where was that? In the, in the Netherlands? No, um, um, Shanghai. It's Shanghai. Shanghai. Bullet train. Wow. So, yeah, uh, with, with what, over, is it 1.5 billion people, China now has um, in-place plans. They, they're not all in place that they're operating yet, but they're being put in place for people to have a social credit score. And it, what that will do is it's going to be using the algorithms and also the flexibility of um, artificial intelligence, which can can make you know flexible on real time decisions on this, of keeping track of people and giving everyone. I guess we might think of it as a score of of uh, personal virtue, so that not only then is it what against the law for me to do certain things that we would all agree with. You know, it's against the law for me to um, to 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 go fifty miles an hour in a school zone, or it's against the law for me to walk into a bank and rob it. So we know of laws as being prohibitive or negative, and that makes sense to us. And so if you do, you know, if you rob a bank, then you, you get thrown in prison. But now we're, now we're getting into territory where we will be using, not we necessarily, although there are indications that we're getting more comfortable with it in our own culture, too. Uh, but but we can talk about that later. But using the algorithms of, say, a credit score, but instead to find out how virtuous Brian Wolfner is, and depending on what his social credit score is, that will affect his employment opportunities. Uh, that will affect possibly whether his child gets into a government college and all. And that's what the, the article in Wall Street Journal goes into a a real story of a woman who swiped her son's half fare student card through the turnstile and then Chen Li earned herself a five dollar fine and a reprimand from from the subway station inspector for not paying the adult fare and according to a notice posted nearby it says that this can affect other opportunities and then it gets to the problem that this may actually take her son out of being considered for college. Whoa. So that, so that you and I would be walking around knowing that everything we do, or almost everything we do, is in some way giving us a footprint on camera or on electronic records. So when we swipe a card to go through a, a rail station turnstile, for instance, when we, for us it might be when we drive through you know, a turnpike toll 
booth or something, all that is being recorded, and I will be accruing my social credit score. And hopefully then, when my child needs to go to a government school, my, my credit score shows me to be a virtuous person because the law has operated on me positively. It hasn't wow. just told me what not to do. It hasn't just told me not to rob the bank. It's told me that when I go into the bank, I'm supposed to be really friendly, and I will be scored for whether or not I am. That's Now, I, I've always thought that this is an interesting thing. One of the distinctions between, say, what, what we might call the first use of the law, which would be a curb to society, a, a way that mm-hmm. there, there's, there's order kept in the world, and then, and then how the law comes also to us as Christians where we have things like the command to pray or to lay down our life for our neighbor. That, that's, not something you, you, that's not something that the state can enforce. The, the, state, the state can say, don't punch your neighbor in the face, but the state cannot come along and say, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a difference in the law that's that's given to us from God versus the law that's given to us from our earthly rulers. So you would think, but let me read to you something that will prove you wrong. <laughs> it, now, now it, it won't prove you wrong, but it will prove that our world will, will want to claim that you're wrong, that, that, that our sinful world will want to claim that what you just said is wrong. Um, President Xi Jinping and his campaign to tighten his grip on the country and dictate morality now get that, dictate morality, at a time of economic uncertainty that friends undermine the party. Mr. G in October called for innovation in, quote, social governance that would, quote, heighten the capacity to forecast and prevent all manner of risks. The social credit system's aim, according to a slogan repeated in the planning documents, is to, quote, allow the trustworthy to roam everywhere under heaven while making it hard for the discredited to take a single step. So they are actually going to use the coercive force of the law to make you and me, I mean, not you and me since we're not citizens of China at this time, but but to make you and me virtuous. So it does get into that of understanding what is the civil use of the law we know that the chief use of the law, as Christians, you and I both know the chief use of law, is that it always accuses. Yet at the same time, you know, the, the new Adam and the new man, and I think this is what you were speaking of, the new man looks at the law and rejoices that it shows how God has put everything in order, if nothing else, in the orders of creation or in natural law. And while all that's going on, it acts as a curb even over against those who are not Christian, um, but it acts as a curb to curb the what outbreaks of um, violence and all of that. But we can see that what they're doing then is what what they are what they're doing is what the Pharisees would be doing if the Pharisees knew algorithms. If the Pharisees <laughs> had mathematical regressions to run through computers. Yeah, that <laughs> that's the, really scary. I mean, the part of the scary part of it is you got. You, huh. you've got a wrong beginning, you've got a wrong end, and you've got really powerful means to get you there. Uh. Yes. Uh, the, the power given to it by the surveillance made possible, by the power of the algorithm, by the mathematical regression, so that all of this data about me, the data can be taken off of 
what what I post off on social media. It could be taken off of what I'm saying to you right now because my voice would be being recorded. Keywords can be picked up and put in as variables or key phrases. It can be taken of if any report was turned in on me because I got mad at the person, let's say, at the at the um, license plate, you know, the the motor vehicle division or something like that. And at the end of the day, the amount of data on me would just be astounding. And I can now be judged either virtuous or, well, according to President Xi of China, you know, moral or immoral. Hmm. Hmm. Now, okay, so uh, a couple of things occur to me. Um, one way of, of being able and, – and so I want to take a st- maybe a step back – if it's okay, Pastor Graf, and say, what do we, what do we need, just as as Christians uh, who are sitting here observing this, what theological framework do we need to be able to understand this and to bring a critique to it? Because some people might say, well, look, they just want people to behave better, and whatever it takes to make people mm-hmm. behave better, that's that's how can that possibly be bad? People will probably act nice to each other. And it'll be a nice place to go and visit because everyone will be smiling. So, so how could it possibly be wrong? And and c- could I suggest that if we understand the three estates, this would be a this would be a way to begin to to bring a critique to that. Would would that be fair enough? Oh, I, I think certainly yes, be, because I think we could go at it in the first step by how Jesus talks about the, the imagery that Jesus uses of good fruit coming from a good tree. And that's over against Phariseeism, teachers of the law, etc., where when we want people to act right, if we're Pharisees, we're going to fence them in, but with more rules, regulations, laws, with more surveillance of their life. And at the end of the day, we get a more virtuous acting person, which the argument that Jesus exposes is that, yes, but it's not good fruit, because it came, the tree right. is still bad. You didn't affect the tree. It may look good, but it still is coming from the evil tree, which, or in that case, then an evil heart. So the government is trying to do that classic trick of making the tree appear good, where you and I as Christians, and this would be where the estates would get into it, because now we get to say, what was the church instituted for? What is the church as the bride of Christ given to give to the world? And it is that we're not concerned, in the first case, with the fruit of the tree. We're concerned with the tree. The tree is cut down, thrown into the fire, or we would use the language then of daily repentance. And the new man or the new tree is daily given life by the gospel, by the forgiveness of sins, by living under grace. And from the good tree, then, in this case, the new man the new Adam, to use Paul's words, or the cleansed heart. From my cleansed heart, I look at my neighbor in love, not because I'm trying to follow the law, but because I belong to Christ, and Christ loves my neighbor, and he honors me to be his servant to give gifts to my neighbor. So in that way, the confessions speak of good works are done spontaneously. This we is, don't try to design them by by following the law. We we just spontaneously do them because we belong to Christ. Who the problem is the pro- and this is really great that the state, as an estate, can only coerce. That's that's all it can do. So right. it, it can't give a good heart. It can only 
curb the wickedness of the heart, but but it is the the preaching of the church that delivers a good heart. We got to talk more about that on on a good heart being good works, the three estates and how they relate to each other. That is the state of the the estates of the state and the family and the church. We'll we'll talk about that coming out out of the break. We're going to go to the break now, um, and then we'll come back with Pastor Warren Graff. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. You're listening to Cross Defense. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Your family gathers to celebrate your retirement from a career of over 40 years. Tears of joy for your newborn child are mixed with tears of sadness as you hear the sobering diagnosis. You softly smile to hide your sorrow as you watch your wife struggle to remember your daughter's name. Whatever your season in life, whatever your joys or struggles, Christ is for you. Hear the gospel message daily on KFUO. I think one of the most Amazing! Th- I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, by the way. One of the most amazing things is to worship with Christians in other places in the world. I've I've taken people to to Israel, to Germany, to Greece, to Turkey. We've done that, and it's just it's so fantastic and eye opening. We're going to do it again this summer. We're going to go and visit our missionaries in Spain. We're going to tour around Spain for eleven days, and while we're there, we're going to spend a weekend in Seville to see the work of the Lutheran Church being born. In Spain, if you're interested or you know someone that's interested, you can find all the information on the website wolfmuller.co forward slash Spain 2019. It's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O slash Spain 2019. Hope you can join us. Hey, hey, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. And we got Pastor Warren Graff from Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on the line. Uh, this is cross. Def- where we, the idea of cross defense is to ignite the imagination with the Word of God, knowing that the devil fights against us with boredom. He wants us to be bored with that which is the most wonderful of all, namely God's Word, uh, the wisdom of the law, the, the comfort of the gospel. So we're talking about that. And Pastor Warren Graff has brought up this attempt that's happening in Shanghai to to give a social credit score to help your kids get into good schools because you are behaving virtuously and in a moral way. We talked about already the idea that you you cannot coerce truly good works. You can't, if you take an apple and you glue it to a ponderosa, you do not have a pineapple. Do you like that joke right there, Pastor Graff? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking right along with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you you have to. Jesus says you make the heart good, and and then the good works follow. And uh, oh, there's this beautiful work of Martin Luther on the freedom of the Christian, where he talks about how to be good, to be a good tree, is to be a friend of God. It's to, it's that Jesus looks at us and he says, "Your sins are forgiven." That's that's where the good that's where the good heart comes from. Is the de- declaration of the Lord's kindness. Uh, I'd like to, Pastor Graf, introduce. The idea of the three estates, assuming that um, 
you know, just asking for a friend. Hey, what are the three estates? I want to introduce that and then talk about the dynamics that are in place here. Uh, so we have the three estates are the three orderings of the world from God, and they are the church and the family and the state. Um, and, I, and just to give a very brief thing to say that both the church and the family were instituted by God in the Garden of Eden. The state came after the fall. Uh, mm -hmm. And the church exists. The, the end of the church is life eternal. The end of the family is life biological. And the end of the state, what do you think about this definition? The state exists to bring little deaths to prevent the bigger deaths. So the state has the power of the sword and it punishes sin so that so that sin doesn't just the fire of sin doesn't become a forest fire and burn this whole place down how, how about that for a, a quick overview yes although if i can throw in a little bit of um a little bit of problem to that yeah sure it would be so we do speak of this the estate of the state of the government coming in uh post fall and all of that but but to think about it of what the created orders are and what natural law would be had we not sinned had adam and eve not brought brought us into death with their sin then i'm not sure we would want to say we wouldn't necessarily have a form of state it's just that it wouldn't be coercive in other words we still would have been created it seems to me with vocational gifts you still would have able doing one type of farming and Cain doing a different type of farming, ranching in that case. And I think it would be conceivable, and it would seem to me to go along with the orders of creation, that you would have one person who is, let's say, greatly gifted in music, another who's greatly gifted in um, building, engineering. But it wouldn't be stained with sin, so that the person who's gifted in music, I wouldn't be envious or covetousness or covetous of his gifts i would rather enjoy him as the gift that the lord gives to me through which to receive music which if that is a true way to look at the orders of creation it could be that we would have a form of of state in the sense that some would be given to be the organizer some would be given to be the actual farmer Yet we can still say, but when sin entered, the state became necessarily coercive because I am resistant in my sin to the Lord's gifts. So now when I see someone with a gift of music, I feel jealous and I will even be tempted to do violence or something. And that's where the state then is given to be a curb yeah. to, to say no to that. Yeah, I'll go with that. And I now the main thing is to think of um how the state operates now because if it's true that the other two estates are are busy bringing forth life in one way or another, but the state mm -hmm. is almost defined by the sword. So so Paul talks about mm -hmm. the state and the sword almost synonymously. And and to understand the sword then directed outwardly to be something like military might and going to war, waging war against another nation. The sword directed inwardly to be something like the police and the justice system and all of that, so that there's, so that there's punishment being brought one way or another. Um, that there's going to be a, but there's always going to be a temptation for the state, I think, to overreach, and instead of saying, "Hey, we're here to serve the greater estates of the church and the family." 
we are the greatest estate and everybody exists to serve us. So rather than understanding the state as an extension of the office of mother and father, and understanding the state as a as something that's the the humblest of the estates, the least important of the estates, and the estate that mm-hmm. serves all the other, the the state is going to always have this tendency to sort of overblow its own importance and to say, hey, uh, we'll do the work of the church, we'll do the work of the family, we can do all of these things better than those other institutions. I, I think so, and, and that means that the overreaching, as, as you pointed out, is not some sort of general overreaching, but it's a specific thing of entering into the family conversation, into the home, and actually taking part in my family conversation, let's say, about how to educate one of a, a child, or reaching into my family conversation about whether we want to spend our money on buying, what, farmland or a fishing lake, or something like that. The state now reaches into this, into the home, as part of this conversation, which it was not given to do. And, and Luther is profound in that, in the um, in the large catechism, in the um, what, the fourth commandment, and the explanation of the fourth commandment, that the servants that we think of as state or teachers in school or other things like that are servants to the parents, not vice versa. Parents are not servants to the high school where they send their child to do everything the high school says. Rather, in the Lord's ordering of things, a teacher gets to have a higher honor than that and know that she or he is a servant to these parents to whom the child has been given. If, if you do not have a copy of the Large Catechism, by the way, and you're listening to us, the, you can download one for free if you go to wolfmuller.co slash lc and there's a free copy of the large catechism that just to download and read or you can buy a copy for like five bucks there too this this is the i think the large catechism is the most important book outside of the bible for us to be familiar with especially in our day um Mm -hmm. you're you're right pastor graf this so luther's political insight there it's not a political insight it's an insight into the ordering of the world that he says all authority comes from the authority of parent so the reason right. why their schools is because the parents get together and say we can't we don't know how to teach the kids as well as we could so we're gonna hire someone to do it or we can't defend our homes just by ourselves so we're gonna gather together and have a group of guys that have guns and so there's armies and towns and villages and everything it but it grows out of the family it's not the it's not vice versa that it's not like the government's up there just saying here's what a family is here's what marriage is here's whatever no it's the other way around the family is is preeminent and the state grows out of that yes and i think that we could even see that where this so-called you know social credit score where where that's going wrong is that is a just a quintessential example of the government entering into the home to actually teach virtue to the children yeah that's exactly what i was thinking and that's what i was pushing towards because it's right it's right, for example, for the parent to say to the child, say thank you, say please, look mm-hmm. someone in the eye. That's what, that's what the father and the mother should be teaching to the children. But that's for father and mother to teach. It's, it's right for the pastor to be preaching, hey, lay down your life for your neighbor. Uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're free to serve and to love and to sacrifice. But those are not right things for the government to say. The government can say, hey, don't punch people in the face. Don't take people's money. But when the government starts saying, say please and thank you, it's 
or when the government starts saying you should lay down your life for a friend the government has started to say things that are not given by god for the government to say that's they're they're usurping the office of the church and the and the family yeah and if i can let me just give one to, to show how how ugly this can get when when the government steps into things of morality or virtue just one quick example in this this is in the article from the wall street journal uh later later down the article but it talks about the blacklist that has been set up so that it says china's judiciary has already created a blacklisting system to tie the national social credit operation um in, into the into the um culture and it speaks then of a client of, of this legal scholar who was part owner of a travel company so this would be like he he's someone in china arranging trips to Spain, let's say. And as a part owner of a travel company, he now can't buy tickets for planes or high-speed trains because a Hangzhou court, I, I don't know how to pronounce that, but a Hangzhou court put him on a blacklist after he lost a dispute with a landlord. This has had a huge impact on his business, said the client's wife. He can't travel with clients anymore. And so, and uh, it, and then it goes on explaining it even more after that. But but what we have here then is what the government should be interested in. This man who has a travel a travel agency, the government should be interested in. Does he honor his contracts with his customers? Does he honor his contracts with what the airline, with the hotels? Is is, is he trustworthy in paying his bills and and honorable in the way he collects his his um, his invoices but now the government has gone over to something completely separate from his business and said because you were in a dispute with your landlord that's a black mark on your social credit system and now they take away from him the ability for him to feed his family by running his his travel agency Yeesh. This is, I mean, we can look at the, you can look at this and say, oh man, this can be abused so easily. But it's not just, it's not the abuse that's the problem. It's the thing itself. I mean, even if it's used because, rightly, it's a disaster. Yeah, because what, that little example of right there would not actually be abuse. Because he really did perhaps, but let's say he spoke uh, unkindly and rudely and maybe even insulted his landlord, which all of us would want to say, well, well, that's not good. You shouldn't, you shouldn't treat your neighbor that way. Speak kindly to your landlord. So it's not an abuse. He was rightly scored for having a bad social credit score, I guess, once you put the system in. But now that the government is in the business of entering into the household and checking people's morality, now this man, and he may have been, for all you and I know, he may have been the most competent travel agent in town. But we told him no one can contract with his services in a realistic way because we won't even let him travel. I, we're, the clock is going to be not our friend here so, so I, because there's three things I want to talk about. We have about three minutes left. One is if there's any system of penance to make your social credit score get better. Number two, you said that you, we see hints that this is coming our way. And then number three, and mo maybe most importantly, uh, how as, as Christians who are thinking about this, understanding law and gospel – how how would we want to hear the Lord's wisdom and especially his kindness in this? I, uh, maybe start with that last okay. one first to make sure we get it. Okay, let, let me start with the second one first, and I'll try to make it quick. 
hints of it coming our way because we're not in China. We're not under that under a a, uh, a massive socialist regime with, that that is willing to use all of these levers, you know, to put coercion on its people. But when you say hints of it coming our way, I would agree with that. Go online and look at all state insurance where they will give you a score, not just scoring you for what you've done wrong, speeding tickets and such, but also where you put um, you, 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 your car gives data on how well you've driven. So that's a hint of it. The good thing with that, though, is that it's not coercive, because if I don't like Allstate doing that, I don't go to Allstate. And that's fair enough. But now look at our health care insurance, where you can get cheaper health rates, health insurance rates, by doing certain things, like let's say wearing a watch that gives data on how much you walk each day and how much, what time you sleep, and whether you've whether you've drank drank too much. Right. And all of a sudden, that is coercive yes. because I don't have any choice on health care. Uh. The, the government it, it determines that for me, and now they can enter my household and affect my life by the data I give them or refuse to give them. All so, right. so that just real quickly on that, on the law gospel of it. Yes. Um, <laughs> I I think first of all, as Christians, just to keep it in order, we remember how Jesus speaks of the cleansed heart. That's what I mentioned with the bad tree, the good tree. We don't go around as Christians trying to clean up each other's lives by imposing the law. Okay, we speak Christ crucified. We rejoice in the cleansed heart. Where there's not a cleansed heart, we commend the person to the Lord to ask that they hear the gospel. But we don't use coercion. That's we're not. We're never going to be as good at that as the Pharisees are, anyway. <laughs> Thanks for Warren Graff of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, this is the. We are always uh, guilty, according to our uh, outward acts and inward deeds. But the Lord comes with not just with a way to get a higher social credit score. He comes with the word of justification, with pure, total cleansing. He, he takes our sin and bears it on the cross so that when God looks at us, he sees us as holy and perfect and righteous. That's not a, it's not a social credit score. It is the doctrine of justification that the, that the perfect life and death and obedience of Jesus is given to our account. And that's good news. Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. We'll talk to you next week. Listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Thanks again for listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We mentioned the large catechism on the show. This really is the most fantastic text. you got to get your hands on it. So wolfmuller.co 
slash LC for large catechism, LC. And you can find it free to download. Uh, You can get a copy there. Hey, if you're listening in Denver, you're just tuning in in the Denver market, I've got copies of these hanging around Hope Lutheran Church. So send me a note, and I'll get you a free copy of this book. I'll even take you out for coffee and talk to you about it. Uh, Glad to do that if you're here in town. So wolfmuller.co, there's a bunch of other theology there. Thanks again for listening to Cross Defense. Hope to talk to you again next week. God's peace be with you.